Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, talking about Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Beginning in verse 29. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is such a... Um, powerful illustration that Jesus uses. And, and really, Jesus kind of gave this guy, this lawyer, an open door, kind of an out. He kind of gave him an easy out, but there was something about this guy that he pressed Jesus further and began to ask more questions. I kind of believe that it was really out of conviction, but this isn't a lawyer like, you know, a court of law lawyer. This was a, a lawyer for God's law, for the Torah. And so he wasn't necessarily a, uh, a priest or something like that, but he was an expert in the law, as the Scripture tells us. And as we look at this, so this man comes, and I don't necessarily think that he came with uh, ill motive when he even began to ask the question because he, we see that he called Jesus teacher. I don't think, think that you know, he was out to try to prove anything about Jesus or that Jesus could answer the question. I think this man who was an expert in the law was curious to what Jesus was teaching. And so we see as we're, this parable is being set up that uh, we, Jesus really begins to expose what's at the core of people's hearts. Again, this man, he wasn't about the court of law, but he is about God's law. And so after asking the question of Jesus about eternal life, Jesus turns the question back on this expert of the law, and what Jesus was going to expose was this, was this man's prejudiced heart. Because in this parable, you begin to see there's three different men. One of them, one was it tells us what. So there's this man, he was beaten half dead, and there's all kinds of information that we, I, we could bring out about this. About, I mean, that road that he was on was known to be a road with robbers. Many people ambushed, and that's a historical fact. And so this man, you know, he's ambushed by some robbers. And then who's the first person along? It's, 
It's the priest. And what does the priest do? He passes by on the other side. I mean, for whatever reason, we really don't know, but we know that he doesn't give him any kind of attention. And then the second group that passes by is what? Is the Levites. And so maybe if I could put it in a little modern vernacular, is, it, is, is if I would be walking by and I see this guy hurt, beat up on the side of the road, and I'm just like, whatever, dude, I ain't got time to mess with you. And then the second group of people would be you guys, you in the pew. You're walking along, and you see the guy on the side of the road, beaten up, left half dead, and you're like, whatever, dude. You know, the Levite is kind of the modern-day Christian, and so you pass by. But then it was this Samaritan, this, this, this people group that was despised by the Jews. And they just lived right north of, of Israel, Judea, and then there was kind of this region of Samaria. And they were seen as, as half-breeds. They, they were not accepted by the Jewish people. And so Jesus is pointing out, listen, the religious people have passed by this guy and didn't render aid. But here comes along a Samaritan who you despise, expert of the law, intended to this man. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful story. And it's really not in your notes, but if I could just draw out just three things just very quickly before I really kind of get into what I want to get into from this parable is this. Number one is this, is you're always going to meet people in life that is what is yours, they're going to want to take it. You're going to, you're going to come across thieves in life. And, and when I read this, one of the ways that I always qualify that what a thief is, is what yours is mine and I'm going to take it. You're going to, there's all kinds of ways. I'm not talking about just, you know, uh, uh, you know, physical things like, you know, the tools in your truck or whatever. But you're going to meet people in life that are going to try to rob your self-esteem. They're going to try to diminish you in many different ways and those are thieves and many times it's because they lack that in themselves and they try to rob it from you to make themselves feel better and then we have the religious we have the priests and the pharisee and the way that i always remember that about the the negative connotation of the religious is this is what uh, is what mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. That's what you find a lot of times in religious people. It's not willing to be that streams of living water, not willing to give out and minister, right? Because the priests and the Levites, they saw this man who was hurting. They had the ability to do something for him, but they kept it to themselves. And that's not what Scripture teaches us. Matter of fact, Jesus told us specifically, much you have been given much is required but whenever we've been given something we are to once again release it and turn it away or, or give it out to touch other people's lives and then you have the man that was left half dead and maybe that may be somebody in this room this morning it it may not be but listen we are living in a society i think more than ever that people are hurt people are damaged people are struggling and they need a church to rise up and what is ours is theirs and we want to give it see that's the good samaritan that's the one what is mine is yours and i'm going to give it I'm going to release it unto you. But I really want to pick up to the core of what this parable says. 
And, and I kind of want to go through this, kind of setting it up, but it's a little bit more. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, we see something. I mean, this guy asked Jesus, what, what do I do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of turns him back on him. Well, what do you think? He's like, well, you know, being an expert of the law, I believe. He answers in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This guy didn't even know that Jesus was about to give him a setup. But the qualifying is this part is, I mean, kind of what opens this up is your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is about to turn his beliefs and his heart upside down. But I kind of want to look very quickly. I mean, even in that answer, what do you have to do to inherit eternal life, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what Jesus is saying is, of course, that you've got to love God com- with your complete person. That's the only way to love him. And we see the word for love is agapo. Many of us know it's a form of agape. And what that means is it's referring to totally unselfish love. I mean, the love that we have to love with is a totally unselfish love. Would you qualify the priest or the Levite in the story of the parable as totally unselfish love? I would not. But who in that story would you qualify that as? It would be the Good Samaritan. And so we see the heart, the center of emotions, desires, affection. We must love God, the soul. Uh, That's what makes us, and this is important, is our uniqueness. Each and every one of us are unique. We're unique in the way that we are raised. We're unique in the culture that we came from. We're, we're unique in our family units and how we do life. There's a lot of uniqueness about us, and we are to worship and love the Lord with all of it. All of our strength, our drive, our will, our want to, we have to love God with. In our mind, the center of our intellect, to live a life of faith is just not living brainless. You know, there's a lot that would accuse us of believers of that right. That faith is a crutch, that you just believe in some imaginary thing. But I'm going to tell you, our faith, I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, uh, of the historical accuracy, if you don't know this, I mean, uh, they, uh, uh, secular atheists, scientists have noted that they know that there was a historical Jesus. I mean, uh, we see other writers like Josephus write about the life of Jesus. And so we can also love God with our intellect. But listen to me. A person cannot maintain a good vertical relationship with God without also caring for his or her neighbor. Verse 28, you've answered correctly. You know, I mean, this is what the, the law answers. He said, you, you answer correctly and you will live. I mean, that guy could really have left it right there. That lawyer, that expert. But there was something inside of him that was either gnawing or eating or, or stirring or whatever it was. But it says, but desiring, verse 29, to justify himself. And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And at that moment, what Jesus is doing is he exposed the prejudice in that man's heart. You see, love is a choice, yes. Prejudice is a prejudgment. Because who, what Jesus is, is kind of saying, you're the Levite in the story, and you walked right by that guy, yet you say to 
have eternal life. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Are you following me so far? So prejudice is pre-judgment. And we must break the cycle of prejudice by thinking more of those that serve. We must see one another as our tr- truly as our neighbor. And we must love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Could you imagine what our society would be like if we only lived by Romans 12, 10? By all those, love one another with a brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. The reason why I'm sharing with this you this morning, there was a very significant day that was celebrated yesterday, and it was Juneteenth. And I believe that is significant, of course. And, and I, it makes me proud to be a Texan to know that Juneteenth started in Texas. Now, the reason it started in Texas is not that honorable. This is, happens after the Civil War, and you know, the cavalry had to come and release all the slaves that were sent to Texas. But it is the celebration of not the, you know, not Abraham Lincoln and, and, and his declaration, but this is actually when freedom came to the slaves in our country. And listen, I, I, I'm, I, maybe you are uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable. I mean, I was telling the kids when I'm preaching and and Shaylee said, are you sure you want to preach on that? And uh, it's like, yeah, I do. She said, are you scared? I was like, no, I'm not. I- I'm not at all because the church needs to hear this. The church needs to hear this. I, I was appalled. I- I'm part of this Facebook group, and-, and I saw other Christians and even a couple of pastors that were we're blasting about Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday. I'm going to make no mistake, I fully support it. I, I fully, 100% support it. Do you know why? Because it's a significant date. Now, there, there, of course, and we know all through the civil rights movement and, and all that was taking place, yes, there's yet even still now a long way to go, but we need to head in the right direction. And I'm going to tell you the answer to it. It's in the church. It's in the church. You see, racism is seeing a race of people as inferior. Racism is having hatred toward a people. Just because someone doesn't understand your culture, it doesn't mean that they're inferior. And just because you don't understand someone else's culture, it doesn't make them inferior. Did you follow me on that? You know, I want, I need some, I, I have a, I have some volunteers, I need some volunteers. I don't have them yet. So, I wonder who's willing to help me. I wonder, Tony, would you hand your phone to your wife? I know you, you like to stream. Would, would you come here and help me up? Brother Paul, would, would you come and help me really quick? How about the other brother Paul? Would you, would you come help me really quick? Here's what I want you guys to do. Help. Maureen, do you feel comfortable? Would you come and help me? So y'all, y'all, I want y'all all, all to stand on this side right here. You guys, yeah. And Maureen, you can stand over here with them. As comfortable as you like. I, so I'm, I'm speaking in the perspective of a white man. 
And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I mean, we know, right? We know this is a hot topic even still in the news in our nation, right? You're like, oh, what is he about to say? <laughs> but here's the deal. So here we have, we have a Hispanic, Tony Torres. We have a, a, a Cameroonian. Is that, is that appropriate? Yeah. Brother Paul. So grateful, Brother Paul. We have an, we have an Indian, not, not a, uh, an over there Indian, not an American Indian, right, Brother Paul? From India. Asian Indian, thank you for, and Maureen, Taiwanese. And so we all have a perspective of life, but here's the problem, here's the problem with our culture, is I can stand over here, and I'm looking at their culture, and I only see bits and pieces of it. And I'm trying to judge how my culture is treating their culture like, but see, the thing is, I, I, I cannot understand their perspective while I'm right here. Because while I'm right here, I have my view. And I have my opinion. And I can't fully see what they experience. So to understand their point of view, do you know what I have to do? I gotta take the barrier down. And I it's it's not on them, it's on me to understand their culture. And I I Brother Paul has always been so awesome to me uh, uh, of, of helping me understand their culture and explaining things to me. And 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 there's times in the four he's pulled me aside. He's like, Pastor, come here. He's like, you need to understand something. I'm like, yes, sir. You know, and I don't get offended by that. Why would I get offended by that? I want to see through their point of view. I want to see through their point of view. And listen, I, I know, I know people of color that have been targeted by law enforcement. I know people of color who have never been targeted by law enforcement. But just because I know some that never have, it doesn't mean that some haven't. And to really understand their perspective, I've got I've to make the effort to understand. And likewise, them, me as well. Does that make sense? Are, are y'all still my friends? Okay, thank you guys so much. Can we give them a hand? Yes, I am. Thank you. Just because someone doesn't understand our culture doesn't mean they are in fear. Just because you don't understand someone else's culture doesn't mean they are in fear. And all through Scripture, we see the roles of culture in the Bible. We see an African man. Do you realize, I don't think many maybe realize this. Do you realize that when Jesus was on it, Via Della Rosa, when he was carrying the cross and he fell down and they asked another man to carry the cross for him, do you realize that was an African man that was asked that? 
Luke 23, 26, and they led him away. They seized one Simon of Cyrene, where that is, is modern-day Libya, who was coming from the country, laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Now tell me how God sees older cultures. We make the mistake of looking at Scripture and even our relationships by Americanizing Scripture, and you cannot look at Scripture that way. Scripture is extremely diverse. Many cultures were represented on the day of Pentecost. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Obviously, it was Jerusalem, it was Israel. Devout men from every nation. Listen, devout men from every nation under heaven. Devout men from every nation under heaven. Do you think if it was, every, if it was men from every nation under heaven that all of those men and women were the same color? I mean, when you read through that verse, you'll, we'll read, you'll see about the, uh, show that picture of the Black Sea. And so a lot of these men listed in, in this verse, it kind of picks up, and it really lists them out beginning in verse 9 in, in Acts 2 of who was all there. And I just kind of want to give you an image of what's going on. The people in Jerusalem there that day, when you read about the Elamites and, and Judea and Cappadocia and the, and the Medes and, and Parthians and Pontus and Asia and Egypt and Libya, Phygeria, Pamphylia, it's kind of all represented right there around the Black Sea. That's modern-day Turkey heading over towards Russia. And then show the, script, the, the picture of the Middle East. And of course, it also included Sudan, Egypt, and Libya that were represented at the day of Pentecost. Tell me how diverse. I mean, is there any question how diverse the day of Pentecost looked? And all of these, all of these nations heard the gospel being delivered by Peter. Oh, that moves me. Cultures in the first century church. Let's, let's look at leadership in the first century church. I'm going to tell you, I, I am proud of our church. I mean, in our church, when I, uh, becoming pastor here, we've had Hispanics. Paul is now a deacon on our board. And we need to see more diversity rise up to leadership. But listen to me. Acts 13.1, it talks about, now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets, teachers, there was Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menon, a long, a long, long friend of, of Herod, a tetrarch, and Saul. Two of the leaders, and we read in Acts chapter 13, were black men. And this is long before the civil rights movement. Listen to me. Racism is pure evil. Romans 12, 9 says, let your love be genuine. Adhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Racism is pure self-righteousness. The scripture talks about, in, um, in, I think in Matthew, about the Pharisee and the sinner. And, and so this Pharisee comes up and he starts to pray and he begins to pray, God, thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. I, I, I pay my tithe. I'm faithful to church. I, I do it. Thank, thank God I'm not like that guy. Listen to me. That's exactly a representation of racism. 
Racism violates the great commandment. Do you remember the great commandment? We're kind of looking at it a little bit right now in the scripture, but he also says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Racism questions God's creation. God is the one that created all the diversity. This is intentional. Acts 17, 26 and he made from one man every nation of mankind. He made from one man every nation of mankind. It's talking about Adam. Racism, it questions God's plan. You read in Revelations 5-9 that what God's goal, God's goal when we all come together in eternity that those that have been bought, bought ransom, the scripture says in Revelations 5, 9, from the blood of Christ, it's going to be every tribe, language, and people, and nation. The Bible says racism questions God. Think about it. Racism questions God himself. Do you know why? Because of John three sixteen. for God so loved what? It doesn't say white world. It doesn't say America. It doesn't say North. It didn't say Canadians. Eh? It doesn't say South America. It didn't say just Africa. It says what? It says the world. God's plan is to love the world and all of its diversity. So how do you respond to racism? How do you respond to those that hate you? Well, the Bible says Proverbs, and listen, I, well, Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 21, in verse 22, it says, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, what do you do? You give him water. For if you do that, <laughs> you're going to heat burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. But that's not the why the why we feed those that hate us and, if, and, and water if they're thirsty, because they're our neighbor. Did you, I, I know some of you, you're not going to like this, but listen, your enemy is your neighbor. And I, I mean, I, maybe it's somebody of your own race. <laughs> Your enemy is your neighbor. How are you to treat them? You're to bless them. The Bible says, Romans 12, 14, bless those who what? Who persecute you. What do you do those that persecute you? You flip them off and drive off. Well, that's, not what that, well, that's not what the Bible says right there. You don't pour weed killer in their lawn. That, you, don't, you don't put antifreeze on a steak and give it to their dog. That's not what you do. What do you do? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not what? Curse them. One of my favorites, 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless, for this is what you were called, and that you may obtain a blessing. Church, listen to me. I'm not asking us. I, I, I'm not saying it's wrong by any means or stretch of the imagination. I understand the statement, but I mean, kind of a, the popular thing to, you know, it, it, to say in some regard is I don't see color. I'm going to tell you something. I see color. 
I, I don't know how you don't see color. I see color. Some of us are pale. Some of us are light brown. Some of us are mid-brown. Some of us are dark brown. Some of us are really, really, really brown. I see color. But let's see and celebrate the diversity that we see. Because it's still going to be every tribe and every tongue and every nation that comes together in eternity to celebrate what Jesus has done for all of us. Because what Jesus did for all of us, he made us all one family. You may be my brother from another mother, but you're still family. Let's celebrate the diversity of culture. And that's some things we've tried to do. And, and now that we're kind of getting on the tail end of this pandemic thing, I'm, we're hoping to, to restart some things that we've done. One of the things that we have loved to do is our, uh, when we, when we had, have the banquet and we celebrate cultures and have food from all around the world and invite the community. And that's giving us, that has given us a door to, uh, to witness and, uh, and to build relationships from people who would never know about church or our church. But we've been able to forge a relationship, especially with many from the Middle East, because of that banquet that we do. That's who we need to be. Let's celebrate the diversity of culture. Let's show mercy and honor towards one another. When somebody comes up to you and opens up about experiences that they have or a perspective that they have, our response should not be, I don't agree with that. But it seems like we're, we're living in society. That, I mean, it's like if somebody calls it day, somebody's going to call it night. Right? I mean, y'all, but that's not who the church is. Matter of fact, there was a Barna study just done about the cure to racism in America. And here's what this study, talking about uh, uh, from non-church people, 60% of non-churchgoers believe the church is the answer to racism. Think about that for a moment. What are we doing as a church? And I know, listen, I, this is, I, I don't... I really don't believe that racism is in, in, in this room at all or our church. I truly believe that. What I'm trying to get us to step up to the plate and let's love our neighbor. And it's just, it's just not about race. Listen, I mean, our society is, I mean, listen, I know, I know, I, I get it. I, the, 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 the LGBTQ you know, agenda. Listen, I get it, but you know, we are not called to hate. We are called to love. We are called to love. Whoever that person wounded on the side of the road, we're to love. And we're to pour that oil and wine over them. Don't allow somebody to reject Christ because of a political agenda in our own heart. That, if there was ever a truth bomb, that was one right there. 
I believe that God can do it, and He can do it through you. He can do it through me. I want to ask you to stand this morning. I did battle with this, of whether preaching a, like a father's family-oriented message, but I, I just really felt that I wanted to share some thoughts along this. And I listen, I'm learning. I may not get everything right. I, I mean, when I look at our political climate, of course, I would never, I would never put myself in the place or shoes of, uh, of, of it being a comparison of so many injustices done to so many. I, you know, I mean, when you look at, I mean, just, uh, I, mean, I mean, just through history, it's just not just recent history, but I mean, you know, still in Africa, there are tribes trying to annihilate other tribes, and really the root of it is racism. There are, when you look at the Roman Empire and the way people were treated and, and the way nations were annihilated, and, and I mean, this problem just didn't begin. It's been going on for centuries. But even because of the climate that's going on, I would, I, I'm not putting myself in being profiled when I drive or anything of that nature. But, I, the, but the political climate of things, I'm a middle age, I, I mean, I... <laughs> A middle-aged white man, I really feel like sometimes I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. I, I really do. I would never compare that to the atrocities that so many have suffered. But I'm going to tell you, if the church doesn't stand up, we're going to see it. We're going to we're going to see our nation turn on itself. And there, it may not be a civil war like was fought in the 1800s. But, I, I mean, we're going to see a, 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 a nation that is completely divided that can't stand on anything. It's time for the church to fill the gap. It's time for...